Good to be back here again this morning, and I want to say how much I have enjoyed the meeting, enjoyed all the hospitality that I have received, and and all of the fellowship that we've had. It's been wonderful. I was reminded when we sang the last hymn that we sang, How Great Thou Art. Several years ago, I was at a meeting in in Alabama, meeting Brother uh, Leroy went to a lot. I think Brother Dave's been down there before, Brother Hale's meeting. and Brother Herb Hatfield was there, and he told us to be in prayer for a, a friend of his, a man that was not a primitive Baptist, but a man that believed a lot of the truths that we believed, somebody that Brother Herb had had labored with and had preached with and told us he was in a nursing home in Florence, Alabama, wasn't expected to live, asked us to be in prayer for him. And I told the man that I was traveling with, Brother Jimmy Hamrick, I said, Brother Jimmy, I said, we're going to go close to Florence, Alabama as we go home. I said, why don't we stop by and see that brother? So we did. And I'm always apprehensive. I'm not a, I always feel like helpless when I go to talk to somebody that especially if they need help. And I just always wonder, what am I going to say? So we got there and found the nursing home, and Brother Jimmy felt the same way. And I said, well, let's have a word of prayer before we go in, Brother Jimmy. So we did. We had a little word of prayer in the car, and we went in, and we met this brother. I'm, I'm trying to remember what his name was. I can't remember at the time. It seemed like his name, I believe his name was Earl. And we went in and began to talk to Brother Earl, and I was hoping that we might encourage him, but he encouraged us, the Lord. And he told us, he said, I wish I could preach at least one more time. And I said, well, Brother Earl, if you did get to preach one more time, what would you preach on? He said, I'd preach on how great God is. And as Jimmy and I stood around the bed there, we began to sing the song, How Great. They are. I don't know, I don't think it's for, for my understanding that he was ever able to get out of the nursing home and was never able to at least to stand in a pulpit anywhere and preach. But I do believe that today he is proclaiming and will throughout eternity how great that God is. We serve a great God. And anything that we preach that's the theme. How great thou art. How great thou art. I want to read a few passages of scripture and, and make a few remarks and I want to, uh, not, try not to take a lot of time. I want to start in the book of, of Acts chapter eight. And <clears throat> a story that I know is familiar to you. It's about when Philip had gone down into Samaria, gone to Samaria because that persecution had broken out in the church, church in, and the churches of Jerusalem because of what a, a young man named Saul of Tarsus was doing and drove the people out of there. And in doing so, even though they may not have understood it at the time. They were fulfilling the commission that Jesus had given to the church. 
Because he said, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And if you'll see how in the book of Acts, how that the gospel was spread, that was the way it went. And so these were men, this, the, the prophecy of Jesus and the commission he had given was being fulfilled when these men went to uh, Samaria and, and, and there was a revival in Samaria. Uh, and there were many people that were being saved. And, uh, God called Philip away from a revival to go somewhere else to preach. And where he went to preach was not in some, to some great congregation, but he went to preach to one man. And it says in verse 26 of the eighth chapter of Acts, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And you know, that's very important to understand this man had been to Jerusalem to worship. He was already a believer in the true God. But there were some, th- some things that he did not know. But God was fixing to let him know, wasn't he? Uh, he was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading, as saith the prophet, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. I don't know if, if we can get a full picture in our mind exactly what this was, but you know, it's really kind of rare. I can imagine, uh, in my mind, this man riding through the desert in a chariot. And, and I, there, that, this was a place of very sparse population. I'm quite sure he may have had some people traveling with him. I don't know, but all of a sudden here, this man came walking up to his chariot. And he, uh, he was reading in the book of Isaiah and Philip came up to the chariot and verse 30 and he ran, uh, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah or Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Uh, one of the things that this teaches me, uh, among many other things, is God has no problem getting a preacher to his people. If God has an elect person, they've been born again by the Spirit of God, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God doesn't have any problem getting a preacher to them. Even if he has to take a preacher... That's had a preaching at a, at a place where there's many people that are hearing and, and the Spirit of God is moving. If, if, he, if he has to take that preacher from that crowd and send him out to a desert to preach to one person, God doesn't have a problem doing that. And that's what he did. He sent him out to preach to this man. Now the place of the scripture where he read was that he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so open he not his mouth. In his humiliation and his judgment was, in his, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Well, 
he began to preach. And I want to turn back over to the scripture that he was preaching from in the book of Isaiah. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 53. And I want to make a few remarks and then I want to uh, sit down and, and let Brother Joseph come and, and preach to us. Isaiah 53, one of the clearest in the last part, actually, I won't read, but the last part of the 52nd chapter and in the 53rd chapter is what is often described the, the Old Testament or the New Testament in the Old. Some of the most beautiful scriptures that are read that, that are in the Bible concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It begins the first verse of chapter Chapter 53, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, when the Bible talks about the arm, uh, it's talking about strength. Where is the strength of the Lord revealed? And in other places in the scripture, it talks about the Lord making bare his arm. You know, we often... Uh, hear the term and use the term, well, it's time to roll her sleeves up and go to work, you know. Well, God rolled his sleeve up and showed his arm when he sent our Savior to the earth. You want to see the strength of God, the power of God? You want to see how great God is? You look at the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he came, as has been pointed out in the meeting this time and is obvious to it in the scriptures, he didn't come as a great, as, as people would imagine a king coming. They were looking, the Jews were looking for a great ruler to come and to set his kingdom up here and to put down the Roman government and all the Gentiles and, but what did they see when the Jesus came? He was strong. But he didn't come in that kind of way. He was not that kind of strength that he showed. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. I lived over, when I lived over in Arkansas, my wife and I had, had got a little place out in the country and several years ago and, and we had, had to, most of it was in woods, but there was a spot, a spot of ground, about an acre of ground down there that and I told my wife, I said, I want to plant a potato patch. My dad always planted a big potato patch. And, and uh, so we broke that ground up and plowed it up. And I bought, uh, I think, 50 pounds of seed potatoes and cut them up and went out there and, and planted potatoes. And it was a dry spring and a dry summer. And I don't think I even made my seed back from that, all those potatoes that I planted. We, we often, some of us are, some people, not me so much, but some people, you know, and especially if you live in, in the country or you go to see somebody, well, I want to see your garden, you know, in the springtime or summer night. I want to go see your garden and, and we love to do that. I didn't want anybody to see my potato patch because I wasn't, wasn't anything there to be proud of. Well, that's, Kind of how Jesus was in his, when he came to the earth. He was like a root out of a dry ground. There was no form nor commonness that we should desire him. There was nothing in Jesus by his personal appearance 
that would make people desire him. That's why uh, one of the reasons some of these people that have uh, what they call pictures of Jesus, I don't think that they're fair representations because they always have some real handsome man. I don't think Jesus was a handsome man. Uh, I think he was the kind of person that if you saw him in a crowd, you wouldn't even notice him. And he is despised. Not only was he not anything great physically about him, but he was a person that was despised. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I, I, I was hesitant about what I was going to speak on this morning, but I felt like when you read the scripture you read this morning that that was kind of an indication of what I was to speak on. Uh, in that crowd, when Pilate brought him before the people and he said, Whom shall I release to you, Barabbas or Christ? And they said, Release to us Barabbas. What shall we do with Jesus? What shall I do with him? Crucify him. Crucify him. And there was a, for, for a period of time, it was, a, it was a mob mentality. The people were just crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Over and over and over again, they were just shouting that. And in my mind, I look back and I wonder where I would have been if I'd have been there that day. And I probably would have been in that crowd. Crucify, crucify. We esteemed him not, but surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we just did esteem him stricken, not just stricken, but smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, all of us, all of God's sheep, and if you're a sheep, you've always been a sheep, even though you may not have known that you've always been a sheep, but all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And as the scripture that Brother Dave read this morning, uh, he, he opened not his mouth. Pilate marveled, aren't you going to answer? Don't you know? And one of the, one of the, uh, gospels, when Pilate asked him the question, he said, he said, uh, uh aren't you going to answer anything? Don't you know that, you know, that I have the power to, to either release you or let you go? And at that time, Jesus spoke up and he said, you don't have any power at all except it be given to you of God. But he, he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison. You know, they took him uh, from one place to another to, to his judgment. And who shall declare his generation now, there, the, this part of the scripture, of this particular scripture, is getting into an area that I hope that I can open up 
just a little bit and make you know if you don't already know or even to cause you to rejoice in what's being talked about here. Who shall declare his generation? For he is cut off, for he was cut off out of the land of the living. Every man, I think whether he will acknowledge it or not, and, and I'm not, I hope, I don't know everybody here, and I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot or, or talk about anybody. But every man, I think, has a desire that his, his, uh, name will continue on through children that he will have. Especially wants to have a boy, you know, wants to have a son. Everybody's not blessed to do that, but that's kind of the desire. But if you're cut off from the land of the living, then who's going to declare your generation? I know I've got one grandson that, that has my last name. I've got another grandson that, uh, his mother, his mother was my daughter, but I've got one grandson that has my name. And, uh, and I told him, I, I teased him. I said, uh, brother, uh, Max, name is Max. I said, now Max, you got a great, uh, responsibility on you to carry my name on. I said, yeah, I hope you understand that. He said, don't worry about it, grandpa. Don't worry about it. But you, you have that desire, but who's going to declare your generation? Who's going to do that? If you're cut off from the land of the living, nobody can. But notice what it says here. He goes on to say that he was made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He was buried between, or crucified between two thieves and was buried in a rich man's tomb because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering, for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. Now, this is where it comes down to the idea. In the first part, it was talking about a man, and and his who shall declare his generation, who's going to carry on his name. But then it starts talking, it goes into the language of talking about a woman. And the, the pain and the suffering that she has in having a child. Uh, I can't at all say that I totally sympathize with a woman because I don't know what a woman goes through when she has a child. But I know from things I've heard and even from reading the scriptures, it's, it's a very painful thing. But yet, when a woman goes through the pain that she gives in childbearing, then when she sees the child that has come forth, she forgets all about the pain. That's all forgotten about. Because she has the, the child and she sees the fruit of it and sees and, and something that she can love. Well, it says here that Jesus is going to see his seed. Even though he's cut off out of the land of the living, he's going to see his seed. And he's going to see the travail of his soul and he's going to be satisfied. I had the understanding I believe the Lord gave me of this verse several years ago. My mother 
I'm, I'm one of nine children that my mother had that lived. She had a Bible, a family Bible, and when I got old enough to read and I was looking at the Bible and she had in there the births, you know, of all the children, the birthday and the names and so forth. My birthday is in April. And I saw a, a name, I saw an entry there that was two days, not, not the same year, but, but two days different from my birthday. And it just had baby hoggard. And I asked my mother about this. And then after she told me, but then in later years, she talked to me more about that and told me the story of that in more detail. But she had carried this child for the nine-month period, and she said, I knew when it come time for the child to be born that something was wrong. I didn't know exactly, but I knew something was not right. And the little child was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck and he was born dead, little boy. And she said, and I, I, in order for you to get the full picture of this, you'd have to realize that that was a way different time. This was in the, the 19 or late 1930s. And where my parents lived, they lived in a, my, they didn't even own a car, uh, didn't even have electricity. Uh, we were in very, very backward conditions. And <clears throat> my mother told me that she didn't, was not able to go to when they buried the child. They didn't take it to a funeral home or anything. It was just a very simple thing. My mother liked to sew. She sold a lot of our clothes, made a lot of our clothes. And she told me, she said, I had a piece of real pretty blue cloth. And she said, I told your dad to wrap that little baby in that cloth. And I had some ribbon and told him to tie a ribbon around it. And that's how the, the baby was going to be laid in the grave. And when my mother was telling me this part of the story was she was in her 80s. And I could still see the sadness in her eyes about that little baby because she had gone through the pain and the travail of giving birth, but she didn't get to see the travail of her soul because what brought come forth was dead. But I want you to tell know something about Jesus Christ. This scripture tells me that he shall see the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. Every one of those people for whom he suffered and died, they will be carried into glory. He shall see the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge, it says in verse 11, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and bare the sin of many, 
and made intercession for the transgressors. I would like to have heard all of the sermon that Philip preached to the eunuch that day. And I know they preached a whole lot more than what we have recorded because at the end of that sermon, when he got through preaching, he didn't say anything in the book of Acts that we're reading there about baptism, but I know he preached baptism to him because at the end of that sermon, and they were, as they were going through the desert, he saw a body of water. He said, well, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe. Now, I want to emphasize this, and I'm going to quit. I want to emphasize this. We live in a day, and it's been this way really for a long time, of what's called easy believism. People say, well, all you got to do is just believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God. This man was returning from Jerusalem. He was a Jewish proselyte. He was worshiping under the old Jewish economy, making the animal sacrifices and so forth. So when he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it was more than just a bare confession because he was saying, I'm putting aside all of that old way of worship. I'm denying that that is what the way that we are to worship. And I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he sent to bear my sin, and that all those things were just types and shadows, and now I want to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to follow him in baptism. I want to profess my faith in the Savior that Jesus sent for me. God bless you, brothers. Thank you all for having me.